Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer, and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons, aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing. It can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Greetings. You're with me backstage at uh, Guildford's Guildford's, uh, G-Live venue on what is the, hold on, ninth, is that right? No, I think it might be the 10th actually, date of the tour. Hold on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh no, it's the 11th, I don't know what's going on. Um, It's been going really well, if you've come to see us um, on this tour, thank you. What a joy, it's been absolutely delightful and I'm so thrilled with the reaction and it's funny with this tour, I I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like or necessarily what songs I wanted to sing when I had the first had the idea to do a Christmas tour. But one thing I did know is how I wanted people to feel when they experienced it. And I just wanted to bring some sort of properly festive cheer and a bit of fun. And I've had some really, really lovely comments back. Um, that people seem to be receiving that feeling. So that has made me feel really happy. And sorry if you can hear the sound of Sharpie. It's because while I'm talking to you, I am signing programs. That's me slapping them on the floor. Um, Yeah, I've got these beautiful programs we've done. And yeah, it's been really good fun. We had our London show a couple of nights ago and all the kids come out on stage, had all my family and friends there and that went well and that's always a relief to be honest with you because London shows are a mixture of emotions they're like they're my hometown so I always want you know a good result but also you're like ah because you walk out and it's like buddy where's Wally saying all my friends and family everywhere 
but you want everybody to you know see what you're up to and enjoy it so it's just yeah it's really nice it went well and I'm sure Guildford tonight will be no different it's been really good it's been lovely and brilliant you know mostly sold out shows how nice is that lucky me and yes anyway so you probably don't want to hear about all that maybe you do I don't know <laughs> um this week's podcast guest so um I'm trying to remember what first introduced me to Sandra Igwe I think it might have been I think it might have been when I was reading I was reading online about Vogue they did a, a dinner for influential women and one of them was this woman Sandra Igwe I started reading the little caption about her and it was talking about how she has formed uh, a group called the Motherhood Group, which has a focus on black women in uh, pre and postnatal care, because quite startlingly, black women are four times more likely than white women to die during pregnancy um, and childbirth. And I remember hearing that statistic when I spoke ages ago to Candice Brathwaite, who was one of the guests I had on my first series of the podcast and Candice had a book called I'm Not Your Baby Mother and she spoke about this statistic in that book and um, Sandra has a book called My Black Motherhood and it details how she found her first and her second birth uh, she's got two little girls really traumatic she felt she wasn't listened to properly she felt that she was um, her, her emotions were dismissed by the midwife she felt she had to justify herself, her position, her grounding, just to get some respect. She fundamentally just felt she wasn't receiving the same level of care as she should, or that there was much kindness attached to it, which really is so startling, isn't it? Because look, when you're going through childbirth, you feel very vulnerable, you feel out of control. And the last thing that you want to have is feeling like people aren't listening to you properly. So what is rather magnificent about Sandra is she didn't just think, oh, well, that was a traumatic experience on with the rest of my life. She, somewhere in her, felt this little flame of, mm, I don't think that's good enough. And anecdotally, she was hearing similar stories from other people that she knew, other black mothers. She started a WhatsApp group that grew and it grew. And now it's a massive organisation. And she campaigns to make change, to make a legacy that will hopefully shift this bias for her daughters. So a really, really impressive woman and wishing her well as well because she's about to have her third baby, I think pretty much any day now. She's had the baby shower and I think one of her last posts just said something like, just waiting for you to arrive now. So I hope she's doing okay out there and I hope that her next childbirth experience is a more positive one. But yeah, what a woman and I'm, I'm all for making that change, I think. As I said before, the idea of not being listened to is just, it's so traumatic and it's so fundamental. So anyway, over to Sandra, my chat. Uh, I'll be here continuing my signing and I will speak to you on the other side. All right, see you in a bit. Sandra, it's so nice to meet you and thank you for talking to me today. Um, I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation and I'd like to start with the here and now because you're about to have baby number three. How are you number feeling? Three. <laughs> are you feeling good? I, I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling nervous. Um, I'm really, really 
you know, apprehensive also about my pregnancy, the, the later stage. That's where um, I had previous complications with my first two. But the, for the most part, I do feel like this is a blessing. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's an exciting feeling. I remember that feeling where you're just like, I know I'm about to meet this new person and they're going to change <laughs> everything, but I don't know who the person is yet. <laughs> That, yes, exactly, exactly. So I'm just looking at names at the moment and um, so just trying to see if it will fit in with my Zoe and my Chloe. Um, well, this so is far, the thing. They, their names rhymes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> looking yeah. at rhyming names. Well, that's the thing. You don't realise when you have your first that you've already set up a little pattern of names <laughs> that need to go. And you've made life quite, well, it's quite sort of prescriptive for yourself by having a <laughs> rhyming name. So that really narrows it down. <laughs> It really does. And there's not that many names, uh, sadly, that end in Oe. <laughs> for, for, yeah, yeah. You'll so, find it. You'll find it. Yeah. Wherever it is. So, um, well, yeah, I suppose it's very prudent, actually, that we're speaking at this time when you are approaching another birth. Because your associations... I speak to women who've, you know, their careers have fallen in all different paths. Some women are doing what they do. They have a baby they go back to doing exactly the same job as before. For other women, having their baby changes everything. And I suspect that is exactly the category that you're into. So why don't we go back in time to what was going on in your life? What were you doing when you were having your first baby? What was your job before your baby? Wow. So seven and a half years ago, almost eight years ago, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I um, just met my, about a year before, met my partner, my now husband, and I was, you know, just finished my MBA working in um, the University of Coventry when I when I moved up to Coventry. But prior to that, I was actually in the University of Hertfordshire doing their contracts. So I had experience in, you know, um, collaborating with small enterprises to big enterprises and the university. So doing their contracts with my legal background um, was very, very ambitious, traveling the world, going out to eat. And I've really, really enjoyed life. And that's probably why um, during my pregnancy, it was a massive shock. So Zoe wasn't planned. And I know there is some, um, what's the word, taboo around, I guess, unplanned pregnancies and how you manage that. But that was a massive shock for me, something that I didn't have in the pipeline or could foresee for at least another five, maybe seven years. So for me, things had to dramatically uh, shift. And that's probably why I struggled a lot um, with adjusting and also my mental health as well at the time. So, yeah. Well, no taboo in my house. My eldest, I don't know if he minds knowing, I have told him, no, but that wasn't a, a planned baby. Um, definitely a wanted baby, but yeah. uh, I'd only been dating Richard for about six weeks when we found out we were having a baby, which was oh. when people asked me if I planned it, I'm like, whoa, you must credit me with some intensity in the early stages of a relationship. Like, oh I think this God. is going to work, let's have a baby. Um, yes. Yeah. So it, it, I think that kind of, a bit like you, um, you know, my own smaller way with the podcast, it, it put into motion this whole chain of events where I really had to think a lot about my sense of self, what I wanted for mm. myself, and how on mm. earth I was going to find my way back to me now that I was also somebody's mum. And there's lots about motherhood that causes you to hold a, a little bit of a, a mirror up to yourself about your own upbringing, your relationship with your parents, what kind of a parent you want to be yourself, where your values are at, what's important to you. But I think also, if you have a pregnancy or a birth that throws you into something that's quite traumatic and unexpected, that is 
something that takes a while to get over. And sometimes those conversations don't have for quite a long time afterwards because everybody's too busy saying, oh, congratulations, your baby's here. So you're supposed to sort of just shut that chapter a little bit, like that's just what happened before and now you get on with the here and now. So I'd love to hear from you a little bit more about what happened when you had your baby that kind of slightly sparked everything that's gone on since then, I guess. Yeah. Oh, thank you for being so honest, um, Sophie, by the way. That really helps me to um, <laughs> open up a lot more easier. And as I mentioned, I probably was the first in my circle of friends to have a, a have a baby, to become pregnant and also to get married as well. So um, there was quite a bit of pressure in having to sort of have this joyful, graceful, blessed um, experience and really show the highlights of of motherhood, of pregnancy. Um, but, you know, I guess for me, what happens when, you know, you try your best to reach out for support, you try your best to be honest, and you're fearful that actually you might have a lot of judgment, you might, um, you know, be looked at funny because actually, Sandra, didn't you, wasn't your life supposed to be perfect? And there's this perception that motherhood is supposed to be, you know, blissful and smooth and sailing, especially for uh, women from my community, you know, black, ethnic minorities, we're so used to being labelled as the strong, black, independent woman that when we do find ourselves, you know, really struggling, um, adjusting the sleepless nights, the anxieties, um, not trying to be stereotyped, um, that we don't actually get the help that we need. And so for me, I found that the early days of motherhood were quite isolating, even though I had friends, I had people who, you know, were supportive. I did, I couldn't really show my full mask. Um, and I should, I couldn't really show my full, my, my full vulnerability in that sense. And then especially, you know, going through the maternity system as a, a fairly young looking, um, black mother who was navigating her way through being a mother for the first time, as well as not really understanding you know, some of the other challenges that encompass being a mother, being pregnant, and also then being a black mother, where I'm on the receiving end of so many harmful stereotypes, as well as like really poor, like poorer outcomes. Um, so I didn't get pain relief in my pregnancy. Sorry, in my labor, um, I begged and pleaded for, you know, for them to check me. They sent me home five times. They told me that I was exaggerating my pain. Uh, my baby's heart rate dropped. They told me that I was over screaming and all of these horrible feelings I felt during that period that when I did struggle with my mental health after giving birth, I promised myself I was never going back to a place or a system that harmed me in my pregnancy and in my labor. And so I, I essentially just struggled and suffered in, in silence, really. I, I didn't tell anybody and I made sure that my house was um, prim and proper and clean so that when the health visitor came to visit me and my baby, my new baby, I, I didn't look like I was struggling, especially mm -hmm. because of the early interactions as well, which I might go, go into as we like progress with this conversation. Yeah, I mean, there's some things you're saying that massively resonate with me and my experience, actually. Um, I was the same as you. I was the first out of all my friends and, you know, my family to have a baby. Uh, so none of my girlfriends had a baby. And whilst they were really supportive, I'd suddenly been found, you know, found myself with my priorities shifting and my brain somewhere else. And so I felt like I got, I felt isolated. I felt like there were aspects of, um, just being able to sort of try and I wasn't really in the same place as them anymore. If we were meeting for, you know, those rare nights where you decide, okay, I'm going to get a babysitter or, you know, Rich is going to have the baby and I'm going to go out and meet them for dinner. If they were running like 15 minutes late, 20, I was like, okay, I missed bath time and you're not here. I missed bedtime. You know, I could have read one more book. 
little things like that. Um, and I remember I didn't have any girlfriends with the babies. I didn't, I missed the last bit of my pregnancy. So I didn't get any of the sort of NCT community, oh. you know, knowing other young mums nearby, new mums nearby, I should say. And I just found it really lonely, a lot of it. But yeah. that's that's without me feeling those extraneous pressures or judgments about how I should be coping or how open I can be and how vulnerable I can be. I didn't experience that. So hearing you say it makes me think, I know what pressure is there without all that, let alone with that thrown in there on top. And it's interesting because until I was reading your book, I think, I mean, there's a lot, that's endemic in our culture that you don't really question until someone actually points it out. And things like the trope of the, the strong black woman is so, you know, it's, it's so present. And of course, the casual reaction to it is, well, that's a very positive image. It's being seen as being strong is, well, isn't that a great thing? Sure, but as we now know in modern parenting, we encourage our kids to see vulnerability and being open about the things you find hard as being part of your strength. But if you're just a strong person, then showing those chinks, firstly, it's undefined how that might manifest, but also it doesn't really allow them to be there in the first place. So I guess, and I guess at the time with your new baby, you're not even really able to forming the thoughts in that way. You're just feeling one way on the inside and then trying to present differently on the outside. But as I gather it, you were also subject to what I you know, it's called like microaggressions, interactions with healthcare providers who didn't know how to speak to you and undermined your voice. Yeah, and I'm so glad you touched on, you know, how it's perceived as a wonderful thing to be strong. And I definitely encourage, you know, people to find beauty in resilience. But, you know, for many women, um, women like myself, we don't have a choice but to be strong even when we want to have, you know, be on the receiving end of care, respect, empathy um, and vulnerability as well. And um, it, we've glamorised, you know, the strength of, of women, the strong black independent woman trope. But actually it's very harmful, especially in a healthcare setting or a maternity care setting where actually, for example, black women are the least likely to get pain relief when asking for it. Um, that in itself has its knock-on effect. Black women are the least likely to get support for postnatal depression or follow-up treatment. Again, that links into us also perceiving ourselves as strong as well, that we could bear everything and we don't need help or we don't need support. In fact, when I first told um, or tried to share with my mum how I was feeling, she's a typical Nigerian um, Ibo woman who, who's gone through so much. Bless her. She's had four children by herself as a single mother. She came from Nigeria all the way to England many, many years ago and had to start from scratch. So when I told her that I didn't feel like myself or I was feeling low I was feeling anxious or I couldn't get out of bed she would say why are you crying you know and I think accent like what like you have an amazing life like what I had to go through what she had to go through sorry was 10 times harder you should be um, grateful you should get on with it and so even that guilt of okay am I am I complaining it's true our, our aunties our mothers our grandparents had it a lot harder than us what are we complaining about especially you know I had a supportive partner um, we had a roof over our head we had income but the thing is with you you know Sophie that with mental ill health with depression with anxiety with low mood with pregnancy you know those circumstances don't it helps but again a lot of the feelings are inexplainable you can't really explain why you're feeling the way you're feeling even with 
you know, a healthy baby, a roof over your head, a supportive partner, you know, and, you know, finances in place. Those voices that come into your head telling you you're not good enough or that you need to try harder, um, sometimes they can't be silenced. And that's where I fell into is, you know, feeling like, okay, I can't reach out to, you know, professional services because actually they've harmed me in my, you know, my labor experience. And I don't feel like they, you know, actually want to give me that care and support that I really want. Um, and then also I can't go to my community because they will say that I'm complaining. And also there's a heavy stigma around mental ill health. Growing up, I always thought that somebody who was depressed or had mental health challenges, for example, was that crazy person running on the street but naked. <laughs> that was obviously very ignorant of me, but that's not the case. You know, it can be the person smiling. It can be the person laughing. It can be that person who had their home put together like myself. Um, and that's where, you know, we need to, as a community, speak up, share that we are struggling and also want like speak together on how we can find practical solutions of supporting or providing that support sharing our own um, lived experience as well Definitely. so I had to I had to work a lot around the stigma and the shame and the judgment that came with um, vocalizing my needs and trying to pursue help so yeah yeah and I think you're right that um, we're much better at recognizing that the people feeling the worst on the inside might be the ones who are you know there and outwardly looking great and I spoke to a woman not very long ago who had postpartum psychosis and she talk, spoke a lot about this time when she went out for dinner and she had like bright, bright lipstick on and did a smiley picture with a glass of champagne, like first night out with my husband post-baby. She wow. said, this picture does not tell you what I was feeling the inside. You cannot judge it from this picture. This is, this is what you know. It's not always obvious. It doesn't always present like you think. And also you can, I mean, obviously that's a very extreme thing, but I think with a new baby and all the hormones it's possible to feel lots of different things simultaneously. So you can be feeling, as you say, you know, grateful and excited and blessed about your new baby, but also all the feelings of dread and the, the mm. pressure of the responsibility and all of that stuff simultaneously. And I think that thing about your mum, it's very well-meaning, isn't it? And people say, look, there could be this, that and the other happening. Of course, but just because other things could be so much worse, it doesn't mean that you it's not okay to be feeling like you're not coping. I think we we recognise that quicker now, but some of these things are still still catching up now in, you know, 2023, where we're at. You know, we're still still getting there, aren't we, with a lot of the, the conversations around mental health. It's definitely come on a lot since I was first a mum. That's nearly 20 years ago now. Yeah, oh, wow. So yeah, it's definitely a better, a better situation than it was then. But, Absolutely. Um, and so... Um, when was it that you started the WhatsApp group for the motherhood group? Yeah, so um, after going through such a horrifying um, birthing experience and then, you know, being handed like leaflets and flyers to go to this play group and this stay and play area. Um, and I tried to go to one or two, so I really did. When I went there, actually, it made my um, issues feel a lot heightened. Many of the times I was the only um, young and or black mother in the space and so I felt you know not really welcomed not really included um and also I forgot things like my like nappy wipes and things like that and made it made me feel a lot so anxious <laughs> yes I mean feel so anxious yeah. I thought you know what I'm not going I'm not going out there's no point I'm gonna stay at home and I'm just gonna 
talk to some people online and see where that gets me. And, and out of that, I think that was probably about six months um, after giving birth. Um, you know, we had a WhatsApp group and it kind of spiraled out of control. So we had, you know, just like three of us and people would add their mum friends and their mum friends. And then suddenly we had over a hundred mums in the, in the, you know, the, ch- the, the chat speaking about things that, you know, really mattered to us at the time. Like, how do we balance, you know, new motherhood and our relationships? How do we, you know, confide in family about the way we're feeling? What can we eat? You know, and things like that. Things that services weren't really understanding or we were really bringing to the forefront. Again, there's so many different, like, cultural nuances and practices that a British-born Nigerian woman um, has. So, for example, like, my mum always told me, make sure the moment your child is born, you give them water. And then my nurse would say, never give your child water until they're at least you know is it six or eight months or something like that or make sure one hand make sure your baby's sleeping with you in the bed you know that's like a practice that we do in Nigeria that's fine and then the guys are telling me don't do that you can get you know sudden infant death make sure to sleep on this position on the in the cot and things like that so all of those conflicting um, advice kind of confused me so having that chat and having those other mothers who understood you know the blends and the the cultural practices that we should pick up or drop and you know just having that community that support really really helped and so we had our first event like event slash meet up and there were so many mothers. It was in London, but people came from like Nottingham and Bristol and Coventry. And it was just nice being in a space where we saw so many uh, mothers, mothers of colour with their children and babies. And people cried. Some people laughed. And that was, you know, my first time and many other mothers' first time really, really feeling included, really feeling seen, really feeling heard. And, and feeling like you had a supportive network or a village who just who just got it without having to over explain, you know, yeah. why you wouldn't do certain things just because we just we just got it. And that was in 2016. And that's how I started the motherhood group. So the motherhood group was a WhatsApp group that then turned into um a social enterprise. So I've been doing that now for seven years, running it, and I've got a team. We've got offices in Lambeth Town Hall, and we work with the NHS and deliver training programs. And we have workshops and peer support, and we run campaigns every year. We have Black Maternal Mental Health Week UK, and we and we launched the first ever Black Maternal Health Conference. Um, that's now been, you know, spoken about in the House of Parliament. So a lot's happened in those seven years. That first started off as you know, me being really frustrated, really angry and quite lonely as well to actually creating a movement and, uh, you know, a safe space as well as a support hub for mothers um, who who want care, who want support, but don't know really where to go or feel like services don't have those like culturally sensitive practices or, or uh, support services as well. And now a word from our sponsor, and happily, this next section of the podcast is brought to you by Clarks for growing feet in safe hands. Now, you all know by now, I would hope, that we've been partnering very happily with Clarks this year. Love Clarks in our house. They're a brand that's had almost 200 years in perfecting their products, and they've taken these learnings into their first shoes offering. In fact, earlier this year, I took my youngest, Mickey, who's four, for his first ever school shoes at Clarks, and he absolutely loved the experience. So we've already 
brought you the summer and the autumn special Clark's Culture Guide. And we are back for the final Christmas Clark's Culture Guide. So this is inspiration on exciting, sensorial things to do with the kids up and down the UK as we lead into the festive period. I know what it's like. It's an exciting time of year, but you're also sometimes thinking, what can I do with the small people in my life over Christmas? So one idea is to go to a pantomime. Now, this might be well and truly part of your family tradition anyway. I know it is in our house. We always go to the pantomime. I've been going since I was small. And in fact, I've already taken my youngest uh, with my mum. So they went with grandma and we had a lovely time. So if you look for family-friendly Christmas pantomimes, and in theatres in your area, the whole family can go. They're multi-generational. They're so much fun. There's often little interactive elements. Another thing you can do in your area is festive markets. These are becoming more and more common. I keep seeing them. So fun. They're free. They're beautiful. They're little Christmas markets. You get to wrap up warm. You get cosy. You can explore, you know, different smells like hot chocolates and nice candles, lights, sometimes even animals you get at these amazing markets. There's lots of things to experience, lots of things to look out. You can look in your nearest town from Edinburgh to Winchester. They are up and down the country from the end of November all the way through December. The other thing you can do, if the weather's looking a bit miserable to go outside, why don't you host your very own kitchen disco? Yes, you can have a festive one. You do not need much for this. In fact, all you really need is music. I recommend just making the lighting a little bit moody because when you have all the overhead lights on all the time, it can make you feel a bit exposed sometimes. I've actually had parents say to me, I feel a bit silly dancing in front of my kids. Trust me, when you get the music playing, your kids are not going to be looking at you. They're going to be focusing on their own dance moves. This is actually a really fun thing. It can be a really good way to bond as a family and also it really shakes up any stress, any tension. It sort of flips the script, gets everybody smiling. And look, Everybody can do this from the youngest to the oldest member of the family. So yes, get your dancing shoes on. I would hotly, hotly recommend that tip. I want to thank Clark so much for partnering with Spinning Place this year. I've loved doing these extra special Clark culture guides. So look, please let me know how you get on with your adventures. Share some pictures. If you do it on social with the hashtag Clark's culture guides, I will see them. Also, remember Clark's in-store fitting service is available in all Clark stores that sell kids' shoes. And each pair of shoes nurtures happy, healthy movement at every stage of your child's walking development and beyond. I can testify to that firsthand. You can shop, shop Clark's first shoe collection now or book an appointment for an in-store fitting at clarks.com. And from Clark's and everybody here at Spending Plates, I want to wish you a very happy Christmas. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Well, firstly, I think oh what you've God. achieved is incredible and it, it's making me smile hearing you talk about oh. it because I love the idea of the power of creating around you something that's empowered you to have that voice and go back into you of the past and basically say, don't worry, in the future, I will give you the voice you are struggling to find right now. That's really beautiful and so impressive because when you were talking just then about even something as subtle and small as the fact that you might talk to a healthcare provider who has no idea about your heritage and the things that your mother's passing to you as the things coming down the generations about giving the water to the baby and about co-sleeping, that when they get dismissed in an office, they're not just mm. saying to you, it's not just, it's like showing absolutely zero understanding of anything about what all the parts that have made you, you. We all are the sum of our upbringing and the advice of our family is a place we turn to again and again. So being sat there, feeling like you're about to enter into this new world. I'm a new mom. I don't know what my baby needs. I don't understand what every cry needs. My mum's giving me this advice. Oh, no, don't listen to your mum. She doesn't know what she's talking about either. That's mm. actually incredibly dismissive, but also so, it's so sort of slack-handed in terms of actually trying to support a new mum mm. to not understand what you might be hearing from your community, from your family members that are really well-intended, never yep. mind what the statistics are around them, it literally, it comes from a place of love and you don't want someone just to dismiss it as if it's just like a bit of dodgy advice you got from someone at a bus stop. You know what I mean? It's like, it's part of like your, it might be how you were raised. It might be yeah. what your sister's currently doing with her kids or something. You know what I mean? It's it's a yeah. bigger issue than that. Um, so I think it'd be great to hear. And I know, I know some of the statistics surrounding black motherhood. I mean, it's just things such as, the fact that black women are four times more likely to die in the sort of late later stages of pregnancy, birth, and in the sort of six to eight weeks afterwards as well. That's in the UK. That is a that's a shocking statistic. So I guess when you are when you're first setting up this group, how how much of a big picture are you seeing? How much of it are you thinking of it as something that's got a race element, or is it more just feeling very personal to you at that time? Yeah, so um, it's funny because, well, it's not really funny, actually, but it's interesting because when I was going through my labour experience and the midwife was really cold towards me and was ignoring me and rolling her eyes every time I cried or screamed. Wow. Um, yeah, Why that's literally rolling what happened. Rolling her eyes? Rolling her eyes and saying, oh, come on, you're not even having the contractions yet. And I'm telling her, wow. oh, I feel it. Um, and then the anaesthetist coming in and saying, I'm not going to administer any any um, epidural or any pain relief until you stop crying because I was crying and she said she's not going to give me any. Whoa. And she actually left the room. She walked out and she shut the door and left me there. And I cried and then I had to pick up myself and 
hold firm, firm in my tears, wipe my tears, firm in my cries. And then she came back in about an hour later to then give me the epidural. Um, my crying, my, my, you know, over vulnerability irritated her. And so I, I knew, I knew that my race had a lot to do with my treatment. I actually said it. I said, you're treating, like, quote unquote, verbatim, you're treating me this way because I'm black. And they didn't address it. They didn't say, oh, no, we're not. They just ignored that. Um, that comment um but I knew it I didn't didn't know this I didn't know the data I didn't know the stats I was not involved in this work at all my experience has literally shaped has shaped the work that I do today but I knew that was the the reason and I told my husband that's why they treated me that that way um, when my daughter um sadly passed because meconium stool on the way out and her heart rate dropped and it was really traumatic um, and they finally did believe me when I said her, her head was crowning. Um, the, the midwife then started asking me a few questions that weren't really related to my pregnancy or my birth. So things like, oh, so Sandra, you know, what do you what do you do for a living? And oh, OK, you know, where where would you work? And all those questions. And I started to tell her Then I could see her body language. It shifted and it changed. And so I immediately knew that she had stereotyped me. Wow. Um, I don't know if you want, I want to list off <laughs> the stereotypes that are associated with um, you know, black women, but I knew that she had changed her opinion of me in that moment. And then she gave me a new room, a nice room where I was by myself. She offered tea and coffee and toast and was really, really lovely. But it was far too late. I really wish that I had yes. that. Just even if it was a fraction of that treatment prior to those that, that interaction, being nice, looking me in the eye, apologizing if I was, you know, if I felt a type of way, reassuring me, being empathetic, showing me with showing me kindness. In a report that I was involved in by Birthrights Inquiry that I co-chaired, black women said that we felt we were the least likely to be on the receiving end of kindness. And that that you know rings so true to me because kindness it's really hard to I guess measure but you know when you haven't been on the receiving end of kindness and empathy and it's really hard to explain but you you know it um and then she was really lovely to me and then that was that in that was that incident but then after kind of setting up the group and hearing okay one or two and then three four ten twenty loads of accounts of experiences that were too similar to mine that echoed my experience and worse some other mothers um you know weren't fortunate enough even to carry their babies home you know based on a lot of the um you know the being ignored and dismissed and their symptoms oh, wow. not being picked up and you know their experiences really made me really really horrified and sad to know that I was lucky enough to still carry my babies home, even though my second daughter, my second daughter was really ill and I did raise concerns and that was dismissed as well. Um, and and there, there's still a legal case going on, but the trust did admit to a breach of duty um, with picking up her symptoms and not attending to her needs, despite me raising my concerns four, four times on different occasions. Um, so yeah, I didn't know the data, I didn't know the stats, but doing the work, speaking to people, my experiences, and then the big report that came out in 2018 by Marion Knight, who is fantastic, the Embrace report that showed that black women were five times more likely to die and have complications. Now we're, you know, four to 3.7 times more likely um, to have these complications. And then there's a whole other heap of other um, issues that we have. We're more likely to have depression. We're more likely to have neonatal deaths, stillbirths, miscarriages, um, 
hypertension. It's just the list goes on, but these aren't really standalone events, Sophie. They all interlink and it really boils down to us not being listened to and not, you know, and also us not trusting the system. We're, we're fearful. Many of us are fearful of it. We have our guards up. We're hyper aware. Even now I'm, I'm pregnant with my third child and I still, I've, I, I know there's a lot that has changed and it kind of has slightly improved, but I think it's also because of the amount of awareness raising that has gone on that's made us know how to be a lot more vocal a lot more um you know know how to advocate for ourselves and also we know how to pick up our own symptoms now so probably that's probably why there's been a shift in the the data but I am very hyper aware and I shouldn't have to be I should be able to kind of relax and trust that those in this space or this sector you know have my best interest at heart and will do their their jobs so yeah that's that's a bit of background into you know why it started and how I found out about this work um about the the data sorry and the statistics surrounding black maternal health and black maternal mental health but I'm just really glad that at the very least there are people now are talking about it people that had no idea um people that worked with supported you know black mothers pregnant people had no idea about this data and that's that's scary as well to know that they're speaking to and they're supporting black women but they have no idea actually that the woman you're engaging with has a five five times more ch- chance like, um chance of not leaving this hospital with her baby yeah. um and that should be <clears throat> something that everybody knows, especially if you are working in the maternity care system or um, or the ward. And that's why part of the work that my organisation does, we train, so we've got commissioned by quite a few NHS trusts to, you know, um, deliver training services on, you know, making sure that they understand, you know, the key barriers, the cultural differences, and also how to provide that safe, cultural care towards black birthing people so that we have you know really good outcomes and experiences tailing tailoring care to our specific needs and um during the during the maternity period as well so yeah well I mean I think I mean, there's so much to think about that I think firstly I think it's amazing what you're doing but I also feel like why why is it taken until you <laughs> you know um <laughs> That's so recent, Sandra. You know, this should be like maybe something that, I don't know, your mum or someone not much younger than your mum started the ball rolling on very vocally. It's it's unnerving that it takes a kind of zeitgeist moment for people to actually start having mm. the right kind of conversations. But then I guess, you know, you're on the receiving end of a lot of things. I mean, the UK has the biggest um, health pay gap in the whole of Europe. So the the funding that goes into, you know, um, illnesses pertaining to men is given so much more funding than than any pertaining to women. So we've already, that's where we're starting in the UK anyway. Um, You know, little things I hadn't really thought of until I was reading your book properly about the fact that every time I've read a biology book, every time I've sat in a doctor's waiting room, most of the images on the posters or the you know, the anatomical models will be on white bodies. So that already you're one, that's leaving you outside the door as well. You know, that how's that meant to make you feel? And the fact that you talk about something as simple and essential as kindness. I mean, kindness in childbirth is, is nurture. That's actually the memories you take away. You know they're doing amazing medical care in your peripheral vision, but the experience you remember is the exchanges you have with people because we're the we're on the receive we're the patient. 
So it's, you know, it's the handhold, it's the kind words, it's the, the tenderness, it's the softly spoken bits. That's what you take away in those moments. And that's what bolsters you or can make yeah. you feel like, I'm freaked out. I don't like that woman being in the room while I'm having a baby. And, you know, you shouldn't have been, even being able to be aware of your midwife having a shift in how she's dealing with you while you're also in, in labour. Imagine your brain having to think about all of that. Oh, she's treating me differently now. Oh, she's asking me about my profession. It's so naked. It's like, yeah. I'm sort of embarrassed for her in a way. And I'm <laughs> glad you got your tea and toast, but yeah. we can kind of see the cogs working, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's shocking. And so, okay, we've got you feeling vulnerable and, you know, a little bit alone and lost in it all. You've got the WhatsApp group. You've got the snowball. Oh, golly, there's loads of other people out there. It resonates with them too. I recognise that story. Oh, wow, it happened to them. Okay, hang on a minute. What is really happening here? So at what point do you take it from a WhatsApp group, a community, a load of lovely people you feel safe with, and turn it into something that's got a little bit more drive in it? Where do you get from there to like this organisation you have now? Yeah, it, it was definitely a gradual process. It didn't happen overnight. Um, and it was a WhatsApp group. Um, and then we had our first meetup event maybe three months after chatting and chatting. And then I think after the first after the first uh, meetup, and there was so many mums that came into that building to the point where the ma the venue manager was annoyed because there were so many bug buggies inside blocking the hallway outside and he wasn't really aware that there'll be that many children and he just thought it was like a little cafe cafe sort of um coffee morning but it wasn't it was a full-blown packed space and I could see oh my god goodness there's a need when I could see that there was a need yeah. a genuine need a hunger for the space I said okay we have to do another one and it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger but again at the time a lot of the conversations were very much focused on our overall well-being being mothers adjusting to life definitely we touched on the um you know the discrimination and health inequalities that we face in maternity care and postnatally but we also incorporated other things like just relate just how we can relate to our partners our friends and our community as well so it was very much uh, non-clinical non-clinical and more so community-based and that's probably how we kind of appealed to the wider community um, and then after the so that happened for about two two three years after the embrace report and the black lives matter movement that's when we started getting a lot more traction from Health, the healthcare sector. Um, bearing in mind, I had approached quite a few organisations beforehand to say, listen, this, these are the mothers we're speaking to. They're saying this. Many mothers are struggling with postnatal depression and very, like, basically none are going to get any professional support. We're having to bring in, um, you know, midwives and doctors and nurses that happen to be black mothers as well and bring them into the space to actually say, you know, these are the practical steps that you could heal yourself. You can get support. Many mothers turn to more holistic care practices. So meditation and eating better and going to their church and finding, you know, community and they stayed away from clinical settings. And so after the George Floyd um, incident, that obviously was hor horrifying, mm. but it struck the world yeah. on an international and national basis that's when we, I saw a massive shift in the way that 
everyone spoke about the role that race and racism play plays a part in every system. Yeah. Um, in fact, a lot of my friends know this and they were saying, Sandra, you're crazy. Why are you speaking so openly, you know, about blackness and being black? Like, aren't you afraid of not getting a job again? Aren't you afraid of being seen as this overly pro-black person? And that's not the kind of person that they saw me as this sort of, you know, massive campaigner. But I knew that I was just like, wait a minute, there's an issue there was nobody's really speaking about it as much as seven, eight years ago. And if they are, it's probably behind closed doors or amongst ourselves. And I'm not really seeing mainstream, um, you know, campaigns around this, what's happening. And I had to be true to um, myself, um, especially because I was writing letters of complaints to my trust to say, hey, I had a horrible experience. This happened. Hey, this nurse did that to me and said that to me and she shouldn't have. And now you know, my child is sick because I raised concerns and you guys told me that I was over worrying. And actually now this data backs up that my feelings weren't incorrect. Yeah. It wasn't all in my head. I wasn't being a hysterical black woman who just wanted to cause a bit of drama. I had validity in what I was saying and how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I have things to back me up now. And so I think the shift was when, um, after the George Floyd and then birthrights approached approached me and asked me to be involved in um, their their um, in national inquiry, which was I can't remember the year now. Going to forgive me, probably about three three years ago. So up until that point, we had been you know working as a community organization, supporting the community, and definitely raising awareness, but ma- mainly feeding ourselves to kind of equip ourselves on how to you know manage manage and balance motherhood but the communication between us the healthcare sector and also parliament government was disconnected they wasn't really involving us in their conversation and we wasn't really involving them but I think that inquiry and the 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 um, national inquiry into racial injustice really broke that that barrier and then made sure that the community and everybody was speaking to each other. So I co-chaired that. And that's when it kind of went viral all over, all over the news and newspapers, as well as the, the, the campaigners, Five Times More, who did their report, as, their report and their petition as well. And people started speaking a lot more about it. A lot more groups started popping up, speaking about the same issue. So it wasn't just me and a few others anymore. It was quite a few yeah, yeah. people. Um, and we had backing from, you know, people like MP Bell and, you know, Dr. Karen Joas and other, other quite prominent people in the space who were also taking a stand. And that's probably when I think it became less of a, be careful. Don't talk too, don't talk too loudly about race and the role of racism to more so an agenda that everybody has now as a priority, health inequalities, um, in, in black maternal care and that's where I can see the the natural shift so from then till till now then we've had like quite a few projects with you know for example guys and sometimes hospital have commissioned us over the next three years to you know really continue the work that we've been doing and that's through the impact on urban health um, fund and we've been able to have now community space in Lambeth Town Hall, you know, where we have many black mothers coming into our physical space to use it to take part in research and projects that can really um, allow us to have our voices heard, um, have our voices amplified, get involved, say, okay, we now have power to make change. You know, we no longer are being spoken to and about. We're now getting involved 
um, so that the care is mapped out based on what we would like and what we think is acceptable and safe and practical and makes sense to to us. And, and I'm really glad to see that that massive shift because based on that inquiry that I was involved in three years ago over the last over the last three years, sorry. You can hear mothers saying in their experiences that they felt unsafe, they felt dehumanized, they felt like they didn't have any consent or choice in how or where they gave birth, they were coerced. For example, myself, even I was induced without even knowing my first first daughter. It sounds very wow. strange, but if no one's telling you this is what I'm going to do, this is why I'm doing it. Yeah you're not really given the, you know, clarity in the process. And so they just say, I'm going to just check you and then end up giving you a membrane sweep, which then triggers your waters to be to break. That's not giving consent for induction, you know, and you find, we found that many mothers from my community had similar things done to them without being fully explained and feeling like they didn't really have a choice as wow. well. Yeah, no, yeah that's shocking, it was, isn't it? What a violation. Yeah. I mean, it's a basic, that's what it is. It's a basic, and also, how are you supposed to have trust again if someone says I'm just going to check you? Anyone else saying that again is going to remember this time. Well, I had someone say that to me, and then oh my goodness, <laughs> nope. yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose, I suppose what what all of this need? I suppose that is you. You know, you were saying yourself, the statistics have have been there. You know, it's been on the table a few times over, but it must yeah. have needed someone like you who can speak about it with passion, with the information right at your fingertips, but also a lived experience. That's a pretty, that combination is pretty, it's powerful. You know, it has all the points of the triangle there. Um, but I wonder, were you someone that was always able to advocate and speak like this before you've found this need and this drive with what you're doing yeah I think thank you for that by the way Sophia I think a level of me just had to not care so I've always kind of been a person that if I feel feel or felt like I was being taken advantage of that there was some sort of injustice um, I had to be the one to speak up and I think as time went on naturally I was conscious about not being perceived as okay. Over it's Sandra again. Here we go. <laughs> she's gonna <laughs> she's gonna raise her concerns, and so just yeah. Naturally, I think I was that kind of person. But also, when I truly believe that there is a problem and there's an issue, and where be, I'm being silenced, I will give it enough chance to see. Okay, maybe they're doing it by accident. Maybe it's not malicious. Maybe there's another, you know, there's a motive behind why they're not really addressing this issue. But after a while, when you see actually it is to, it is to do with, you know, race or um, other factors that somebody just cannot cannot help, then I, 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 I will speak up. And mm -hmm. that's what happened. I know black women, my friends, they were, they were so scared for me. Sandra, make sure you, you know, you have to involve, you know, non-black mothers to try your best to involve white mothers because they won't listen to you if it's just us. And I kept saying to them, no, but that's not, that's, I know we all have challenges, but this issue right yeah, here. Yeah, this is mine. I own this one. Yeah. And you don't need to dilute it or, yeah, it, 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 it's powerful because it's, it's got the intensity of what actually needs to be sorted. And I suppose for you, sometimes it must be hard also, people must come to you with all sorts of experiences and you've got to try and filter that. Like, thank you for sharing your experience with me. But also, it's a lot for you to have on your shoulders when it's when people at their most 
I mean, you know, it's a traumatic experience they've had and then they bring it to you and you're like, yeah. oh, that's another one. And also you had another baby during all this time, which is another thing that's just mm-hmm. it's working out. So if your current youngest, um, I think is just one year yeah. older than my youngest. So was she, must have been, tw- yeah, 2018, I think. Is yes, that right? 2018, yeah, correct. So you said yeah. that's around the time that the Embrace report came out and all this. So I think came out. So you mm-hmm. must have had a lot you were dealing with around your pregnancy then too and your new motherhood again, part two. Yeah, I think I think between the first and second pregnancy, you know, they were almost identical, even though um, a year and a half apart. But I've had a, a gap now. So my youngest is five. She'll be turning six in January. And so being in the space, working, sitting on panels and tables and knowing really that they are, they are trying to lower these disparities and these challenges that um, black mothers are facing in pregnancy and beyond. But now being pregnant now, I think for me, this has been probably the the best kind of time for me for me to really analyze what has changed and what is what hasn't changed what are the main issues um and even though I can still see the stats have lowered the interactions still very much feel um not based on genuine I want to be kind I want to be caring I want to be I want to ask questions because I want to know more about this mother and helper. Sometimes it does feel a little bit like, oh, no, I know about this campaign that's going on or the work that's going on in this space. She's a black woman. I have to tick this box and that box. Otherwise, I could get in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it doesn't look good for me. People, and I even don't even want people to know sometimes I'm, I'm the person behind a lot of this work because I don't want their treatment to be shifted based on not wanting to actually really help me, but based on fear. Um, and so that, that punitive sort of punish, punishment element has come into it, which some might say it's still good, Sandra. It's better for them to treat you better based on fear than to treat you bad. But actually, I just want it to be a human instinct. Like, how would you treat your cousin, your auntie, your sister? Would you treat them in a, in a, in a loving, kind and caring manner with empathy on the receiving end of kindness and choice and explaining options to her? If so, just treat somebody else, a new mother in, in the same way, mm-hmm. um, as well as it doesn't seem hard, but sadly you'd be surprised people, um, just don't have that, that level of patience and care. And that's yeah. why I say, if you really want to be a nurse or a midwife or work in the health sector, you have to have a passion for wanting to help people. You have well, to have yeah. passion to, to genuinely wanting to care. And you have to address your own bias. We all have biases. I mean, human nature is for us to look at something and make a judgment. Now mm-hmm. it's get, it gets very dangerous if you're, if somebody's, you know, life is in your hands and you have harmful preconceived um, notions about that person's culture, values, religions, age, and then treat them differently based on that. I was on a podcast a few years ago, Sophie, and I was quite surprised um, for the one of the chief midwives to say, or, uh, you know, the head midwife to say that her team isn't, they don't have anyone racist. I'm so sorry, Sandra. I don't know why, you know, I, I'm sure the data isn't wrong, but she never sees people in her hospital treat anybody black with ill health, you know, ill, ill-mannered. And then she go, gave an example that one time, or she gets frustrated with hearing somebody on the phone who is um, working with customers that has a very strong Asian accent, for example. She gets very irritated and frustrated and she wants them to, <laughs> she was quite honest and I appreciated that. But then I kind of raised the concern, said to her, okay, now imagine that person 
giving birth and you're getting frustrated at their accent, that's going to tailor or alter the way that you treat that person, whether you realize it or not. Mm -hmm. And that could be the difference between you being um, more patient, more softly spoken, um, giving her more options, um, listening to her concerns and maybe taking them on board, maybe even being more proactive in some of the remedies than versus being more short, sharp, quick, irritated, when I was crying during the epidural and they said, I'm not going to give it to you until you stop crying and, and left the room. I wonder if I was, I was, if I was a white lady, maybe she would have been like, I'm so sorry you're crying. Should I wait a few minutes? Maybe should I, should I come back? Should, what do you need? I didn't get that. And I know it's because she didn't feel like she, she had the patience for me specifically. And again, um, many, many mothers from my community, we feel we have to have our CVs on our shoulders before we are on the receiving end of this treatment. And it's sad because I know after the question she asked me, what do you do for a living? Where do you live? What, you know, my husband wasn't my baby daddy. He was my husband. That's what probably she assumed. That's when the treatment and her tone changed and her body language changed. But why do we have to? Everybody deserves to be on the receiving end, regardless of your age or sex or background, whether you're married or not, whether you live here or there. It, it doesn't matter. And that's right. what I think needs to change is that human, add a human, humanistic, just just be not be a nice person. <laughs> be a nice <laughs> yeah. person. I think that would help the world turn a lot smoothly, like in all walks of life, by the way. But also I do I do kind of feel like your midwife now, wherever you're seeing when you go for your appointments, must be like, oh, you know, <laughs> here we go. I, 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 it would have been quite spectacular for if you for that midwife if she said, What do you do? And you'd gone, actually, I I, I run a, an organization, I'm CEO of an organization <laughs> looking into disparities and how black mothers are treated in childbirth and aftercare. Oh. She would have been like, Whoop, okay. Man, I know. <laughs> yeah. But um, but you're right, and I, I suppose I just, my heart goes out to, well, to, to you in those experiences, but just anybody that, look, I've got so many birth stories in my head from my girlfriends, and anyone that experiences, you know, that tactless comment from the healthcare mm. professional, you always remember it, you never forget it, but to have it as a, to have the association that it might have come at you because of a judgment made of the colour of your skin is unacceptable even if it only happens once that's not acceptable let alone for it to be part of how our system is set up at the moment so what you're doing is brilliant work what's okay when you're having your baby do you feel like okay I'm gonna need to like you know shift the mantle a bit or you so like pumped up for keeping doing what you're doing you've got plans I mean I get the impression you're gonna have lots of things in your head I don't see you slowing down but yeah <laughs> I can't slow down slow me help I can't slow no I, I honestly I don't I, I don't want to slow down um I feel like a lot has changed since myself and others have been involved in this work there's a lot more that needs to be done there's a lot of works going on behind the scenes that I know you know will come into fruition later on um it takes time it's not going to happen overnight mm -hmm. sadly um, but I think even just having my baby and going through it again has helped me refresh my memory of the gaps that's that's um, needed that's needed to be bridged um, the areas where services need to understand some of the barriers um, and then also I think there there needs to be an involvement also now the healthcare sector we understand for the for the most part other other sectors need to know because 
mothers go back into work, yeah. finance them, uh, financial services, working in education and other sectors. Um, again, if you're a black mother and you're more likely to have depression and the least likely to get support and you're more likely to struggle with baby loss, miscarriages, hypertension, hypertension I think HR needs to know this. Yeah. I need to know how to support you on that. And so I guess for, for me, uh, the next space is really infiltrating other sectors and other organisations that also interact and support all mothers, but specifically um, black ethnic minority mothers as well. The support is needed at, at, on a grand scale. And also preconception before becoming a, a mother, mm-hmm. you need to know all of the data that, that not to give you anxiety and make you scared, but to know how to prepare yourself as well, what's to come and also what you're facing. Um, because again, as you mentioned earlier on, I don't know why it's taken this long mm. for some sort of change to happen or some sort of attention to happen. If our parents were more likely to to die and have complications and our grandparents and it's always been this way why yeah, take why now why now yeah and yeah yeah but I guess you know you you'll be able to see your work very close to home with your own daughters as they grow mm. up and the conversation I, I suppose you must feel a little bit like you know by pulling at the thread of your experience in your first pregnancy and first childbirth it must have like pulled and pulled until this whole appears of like all the areas that need help, all the bits that need darning, all the bridges that need to be built. But I mean, how powerful that for your daughters and that generation, they will be in a different version of the UK, actually, because of the work yeah. you're doing. I mean, does you feel uh, like, do you feel a bit like what's happened from that, that experience has actually given you your... I hate to talk about it, like, you know, is it legacy or your purpose, I suppose? It must be your, yeah, your purpose, I think, is probably more appropriate words. 110%. It's definitely given me, it's part of my purpose. I always say I've turned my pain into my purpose, and it sounds very cheesy and cliche, but it's the truth. The The pain I experienced, you know, giving birth and subsequently after, I couldn't even speak about my experiences without crying. I'd always burst into tears. Felt really like... I just felt that it wasn't fair. Like, it's just, this is just not fair. Injustice, injustice, injustice. And so I guess, you know, being quite open at the time where there was a heavy taboo around birthing experiences, perinatal mental health, speaking about race and racism, and then just seeing a lot more people speaking up. So just the a catalyst effect of just people being more honest, using social media, other platforms to speak about experiences related to what I've just mentioned. And then now knowing that my daughters will have, will definitely have a different experience. They have to, because, mm. you know, I'm hoping by the time they get to, you know, childbearing age, that they will be a lot more confident in themselves. And also um, services are a lot a lot more aware of the disparities and they're willing to put in um, procedures in place to support them. You know, changing policies is a big thing for us. And now they've put, they're setting, you know, they are setting or speaking of setting targets to address disparities for black maternal health care in the UK. And remember, this is not just a, a national thing. This issue obviously is in America as well. Yes. So it's not just a British thing. It's an international thing. Yeah. And um, in some states, it's even like some black women are like seven times more likely to, to die. And it's wow. also not a, a, a socio-economical thing as well, because you have people like Serena Williams and Beyonce, who are extremely successful, who are black, who have had similar experiences to other 
um, black women who who come from very different backgrounds. So we have to be honest and say race is a, is a factor. Mm. Um, it's not the only factor, but it's definitely the 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 main the main challenge that we need to address. So just being able to speak about it. You know, for example, you giving me a platform to speak about this. This is just oh amazing. You know, to know that people care and people are listening. Definitely. And that's, and that's for me important. Oh, it's vital. And yeah. and also, I was thinking what you said, like your your daughters also will have something that you didn't have as much of, which is the ability to be vulnerable and let you know when things are hard for them, which is an amazing tool. I think that's. I do think that's something that's a more recent. Thing for how we're raising people now we have much more focus on that that ability to be open and you yeah. know model model failure model weakness all these things as parents we're encouraged to and I suppose you know they won't quite understand the massive significance of what you're doing right now because no. I'm sure they're not thinking at all about what it feels like to be pregnant or have a baby <laughs> or anything like that but no. when they get there they're going to be like wow and they're going to feel like this is actually kind of cool we we helped spark this oh. this change that's exciting isn't it <laughs> I thought of it in that way that they was they probably will think that actually when they're old enough that yeah, yeah. they they their birth them coming into the world tell about this change yeah absolutely and there'll be the chronology wow. as well of how long you've been part That's of this crazy. new chapter which is cool and um oh, I can't well I wish you all the best with your with everything that happens with baby number three Thank wish you. you a very peaceful happy childbirth and and beyond yes. <laughs> I was thinking I don't know what gender you're having but you were saying like Chloe and Zoe and Sophie <laughs> you could kind of fit in with that you know <laughs> Zoe Chloe Sophie there not, you go not, not too bad, you know. Yeah, is yeah. your name a French name by any chance? It is yeah, French, was... yeah. So, well, I mean, that's that's where the derivation is. And it comes, I was always told this when I was little, so the soph part comes from, like, sophisticated Sophocles, the Greek oh. for, sophi- for wisdom. So, you know, wow. comes with it, some fancy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you don't always have to live up to it, but that's where it comes from. <laughs> Thank you. No, I will, I will update you on the on the name when I yeah. when I find out and release the sex to the world. But definitely... Put, we'll put Sophie in in the list of put it in the names. Perfect. Yeah, put it in that. Exciting. <laughs> new babies, new chapters. It's always a good yeah. thing. Thank you so yeah. much, Sandra. What a brilliant chat. I can't wait to see what, what happens for you next. I'm going to be watching yeah. for sure. <laughs> see? What a woman. All good. I think that's... um. It's just exciting when someone has a life experience and it actually makes them sort of find their purpose. I think purpose is such a thing. I never really used to think about it when I was younger. I never used to think about legacy and I never used to think about purpose. Um, But a lot of these conversations have really encouraged me to think a little bit more about it. And I do think a lot of it is just about leaving the world a little bit better than you found it. Even if it's only everyday kindnesses, it doesn't have to be big, bold strokes. However... If you are passionate about making change and you do feel that call to action, then how amazing. We need lots of that in the world, don't we? And yes, meanwhile, what is my legacy? <laughs> um, well, at the moment, it's hopefully making a few a few people feel a bit better about this Christmas that's in, coming our way. That'd be nice. It's not a bad start. And um, I've got a day off tomorrow at home and I'm really looking forward to it it's been amazing to do this tour but it's always quite tricky doing the juggle of home and away and I have a brilliant support network of people helping with the kids but that being said 
I've got one week to go and then it's just pure togetherness all the way until January and I'm really, really looking forward to that. Just kind of, I think it's been a joy to do this tour knowing that after I can just actually just go, right, pass me some mulled wine and some devils on horseback and let's have Christmas. Um, and I was a bit worried I'd be christmas out, but I'm not. I'm still here for it. Let's keep going. When I get home, I've got to finish decorating my tree. We put it up on Monday. I did a fair amount, actually. It's looking decent, but it needs a bit more decoration. And I don't know how you are with your decorations and your tree. I am definitely... It's not just maximalism. It's also just I quite like a slightly scattered gun thing. So I just keep chucking loads of decorations on and standing back and having a look. But I want it to look, like, bountiful and loads of colour and fun. I'll take a picture and, and post it so you can have a look, see what you reckon. But I do I do like it all, and we get all the same decorations out, and I've actually only bought one new decoration this year. I used to buy, allow myself a couple every year, but this year I just found, uh, when we got our tree, the place where we got the tree had loads of decorations, and one of them was a sparkly ketchup bottle. So I got that, so that's on my tree now. <laughs> and, of course, we've had the obvious thing where you open up the box and then you can smash a couple of old baubles. But all my favourites are intact. So this bodes well. It's a good omen. Anyway, um, if you're coming to one of the shows, the remaining shows, whoever we've got left, uh, I'm thinking when this goes out on Monday, I'll only have Cardiff and Bristol and Birmingham. So if I'll see you there, thank you so much. Can't wait. If you've already been, thank you so much. If you're just here for the podcast guest, thank you so much. Basically, whatever brings you my way. Thank you. And I will speak to you next week. All right. See you in a bit. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. 
Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.